Yeah, it's only going to take a year to grow that back, so it's not a big deal. <laughs> All right, so we've been in Daniel for a while. I don't remember, three weeks-ish? Has it been longer than that? So <clears throat> as we've been working our way through Daniel chapter 1 and Daniel chapter 2, uh, we're actually going to get into the interpretation of the prophecy, but I want you to see kind of the, the symbolism as we've been working our way through. We see Daniel really as a picture of how to be a believer in an unbelieving world. And the, the life choices that Daniel makes, the decisions, his prayer life, all of those things point to how to be a believer in an unbelieving world. A lot of people have a lot of different ideas how to do that. All you got to do is look at Daniel. He'll tell you. Look at his life. First uh, seven chapters, you look through his life and you will see this picture being laid out for us. That God is sovereign, that he is in control, that he is working all things together for his glory and his purpose. And there's Daniel being used right in the middle. Now remember, we talked about it, right? There are three possibilities when we find ourselves in an unbelieving world. We can assimilate. It means we just look like everybody else. But then our witness is useless, right? We can separate. Well, now we don't look like everybody else, but we're so separated, we lost our connection with the culture, and the culture continues to spin out of control. What is it that, that Jesus said he wanted us to do? He came so that we could transform, right? Just same way he says, do not be conformed to the image of this world, but be what? Transform. So we are transformed by the renewing of our mind through the Spirit working in our life. What do we see happening to Daniel? We see Daniel being a transforming power in Babylon. One man. Sometimes we ask ourselves, what can I do? Well, I don't know. Look at Daniel. He's all by himself. He did okay. He, by himself, turned the, the eyes of the king totally around, 180 degrees. Now, wasn't nothing special about Daniel except for what? He's faithful. He is willing. Remember the saddest scripture laid out for us in the book of Ezekiel says that God was looking to and fro for someone, anybody who would stand in the gap. And he found no one. God's just looking for somebody who says, I'll stand in the gap. I want to I take on that responsibility. In our world today, is it not needed? Now, let me just, let me ease all of your minds. The answer to all the world's problem is not a Republican. And just for the three who might be here, the answer to the world's problem is not a Democrat neither. <coughs> the answer to the world's problem is not a billionaire running for president. The answer to the world's problem is world, one person at a time, bowing the knee to Jesus Christ. To recognize that His is the name above every name. To call upon the name of the Lord and therefore be saved, right? And what happens to them? They're, then they're not conformed into the world. What are they? Transform. And we transform our world one life at a time. One life at a time. We're all waiting for some big guy to show up and... and uh, Take things over and make it all... You know, that looks like somebody different than Jesus. You, you know that, right? That's a different player. You have to wait till Revelation to get to him. We talk a little bit about him in Daniel. <clears throat> but that's a different player altogether. A man who says he's got all the answers to the world's problems. So what? what is the answer? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the answer... To the world's problems. When we look and we begin in verse 29, just backing up a little bit, just to remember what we've been through. Remember, Daniel tells the king, As for you, O king, thoughts came to your mind while you were on your bed about what would come to pass after this. And he who reveals secrets has made known to you what will be. But as for me, this secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living, but for our sakes to make known the interpretation to the king. And that you may know the thoughts of your heart. What was the point? What is it that God's doing? The king's laying on his bed. He's freaking out about where the world's going. Even back then in, you know, 600 BC. So it's not a new thing to look at your world and think, man, I don't know where this place is going. But what is it? Why does God give him this dream? Because one of the things we'll look at in this dream is this is man's view. Of man's kingdom. This is not God's view. Get God's view in chapter 7. 
Man's view, pretty little statue, gold, silver, bronze, iron. God's view, beasts. Bunch of ravenous beasts. But man's view, we see here, he's saying, look, I want to understand. God says, I want to reveal the things that are in your heart. So recognize when we look at this, the purpose of chapter 2 is to show Nebuchadnezzar his heart. What's his, what's his problem? I'm going to tell you what his problem is. Pretty simple. Nebuchadnezzar's pretty sure his kingdom's never going to end. I know because I know chapter 3. You guys know chapter 3? He builds this image. Right? He builds this image, but he don't build it out of gold, silver, bronze. No. What's he build it out of? All gold. Why? Because his is the gold kingdom. My kingdom's never going to end. Bow down and worship my kingdom. That's what he's doing in chapter 3. <clears throat> so the heart of the king is, is elevated uh, uh, against the God who made him king. Who put him in that place. And so God's going to reveal that in his heart. He's going to show him the truth about his heart. Now that's not something new, right? Haven't we seen that throughout scripture? Think about Jesus. John chapter 4. He's, in, he's sitting, hanging out at a well. The disciples are going to go get him some food. A woman comes up. Remember the woman at the well? Jesus begins talking to her. After their conversation, you remember what the woman does as she's going through town? Come see the man who does what? Who told me everything there is to know about me. Now, not just that he knew her past, but what he knew was her heart. And she knew he knew her heart. And where does that lead her to? Repentance. And faith and belief in a whole town, Samaria, coming to see Jesus as a result of what? Of, of one person understanding the, the truth of their heart. What about Jesus? He's at Peter's house, right? You guys remember? <coughs> a lot of people, there's these guys who want to bring a sick guy to Jesus. Remember, he's a paralytic. So they, they do what? What do they do? They cut a hole in a, in a roof. Yeah, do you think they were roofers? I'm kind of doubting they knew what they were doing, but, you know, whatever. So they cut a hole in the roof, and they lowered this guy down. You remember the first thing Jesus said to him? Son, your sins are forgiven you. Now the guy laying on the ground thinks his biggest problem is I can't walk. But what really was his biggest problem? Sin. Now what happens around him? All the rabbis that are there, what do they do? They start whispering, oh, you know, he thinks he can forgive sin. In fact, the Bible says they were thinking these thoughts. And Jesus answered them and said, so that you know that the Son of Man has power to forgive sins. He looks at the young man and says, take up your bed and walk. And he gets up. Proving that the Son of Man had power to forgive sins. That He is God in the flesh. What's He doing? He's speaking to the heart of the guy on the floor. What is His biggest problem? His biggest problem is not that He can't walk. His biggest problem, the biggest problem of the folks who come to the church in need, is not that they can't pay their power bill. It's not that their water bill is out of control. It's not that they got an eviction notice. Their biggest problem has nothing to do with any of those things. Their biggest problem is the need to repent. Repent. Submit to God. Believe. That's their biggest need. So Jesus knows your heart. He knows my heart. He knows our issues. He knows where our hang-up is and what our problem is. (coughs) He knows our thoughts and He knows our future. All of those things we see here in Daniel chapter 2. As we get a chance to look, not only, earlier we talked about uh, believing in an unbelieving world. We talked about believers in an unbelieving world. Now we're just going to talk about the unbelieving world. And the need of the heart of the unbelieving world. Seen in the revealer of the dream. Let's look at it. The image described. So, (laughs) you, O king, were watching. And behold, a great image whose splendor was excellent, stood before you. And its form was awesome. The image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet 
partly of iron, partly of clay. What do we know? We know it is a great image. In fact, the word for great is fearful or awesome. In fact, it kind of freaked out the king. You remember he was going to kill all his wise men because they couldn't tell him what he dreamed. The king's a little bit freaked out about it. Big and awesome. And we notice something else about it. What do we notice? Each part is less valuable than the one above. Gold, silver, bronze, iron, iron and clay. And with the exception of the feet, each one gets a little stronger. Gold's not so tough. Silver a little stronger. Bronze a little stronger. Iron a whole lot stronger. Right? They all have something else in common. Every single one of them is passing away. And they're all built on a faulty foundation. Right? They're all standing on feet of clay. Probably you wouldn't build your statue this way. Each has a beginning. Each has an end. None of them are eternal. And so goes every kingdom of man. Everyone. Now these represent four specific kingdoms. But I'm just telling you, every kingdom goes this way. Every guy who starts his kingdom says, my kingdom's going to be the one that never ends. Right? And then what happens? It ends. Why? Because they're all built on the same thing. What are they built on? Feet of clay. It's not built on the rock. It's not built on the rock. Next we see that the image is destroyed. Look at verse 34. (coughs) So you watched. While a stone (coughs) was cut out without hands, which struck the image um, on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold were crushed together became like chaff from the summer threshing floor. And the wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. So what do we see? What do we know about the stone? We look at the the image. We see some things about the image. What do we see about the stone? Well, the stone's origin is supernatural. Right? A, A stone cut out from the mountain without hands. So we see this stone coming out, cut out without hands, symbolizing a supernatural origin. We see that the stone has power. When's the last time you guys threw a stone so hard, it crushed clay, iron, bronze, silver, and gold? And I'm sure in baseball season you tell your kids, look, I used to throw the ball so fast that it went right through the catcher's mitt, out the back of the cage. It's still going for as far as I know. But the reality is somewhat different than that, right? So there's incredible power seen in this stone. The stone strikes the feet, obliterates the entire statue, obliterates the entire image. So it has incredible power. The other thing we see is the stone's scope. What do we see? It's worldwide, right? What happens to the stone? It grows into a mountain and fills the whole earth. That's big. Agreed? So it grows into a mountain. The idea is it grows, and as it grows, it just, it just overcomes the whole world. So this is a global. This is a global thing that's being laid out for us. <clears throat> and the stone, the stone that grows into the mountain is identified. Verse 44 and 45. Daniel says, that stone is the kingdom of God. We don't have to guess. We don't have to wonder. I love it when the Bible does that, don't you? It makes it a lot easier to connect the dots if God gives us a few of those dots. And so he does. He tells us that. Now this idea is in Scripture. In Micah chapter 4, verse 1. Listen to what it says. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and peoples will flow into it. Same kind of an idea. The mountain of the house of the Lord grown into all the world. Isaiah 2.2 similarly says, Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills 
and all nations shall flow to it. So the idea, the kingdom of God, right? Global, we're talking about a global kingdom that abolishes and wipes out every other kingdom that we have laid out for us. So now, let's take a look at the interpretation. All right, we get a chance. What does this all mean? What is it, what's, what's he laying out for us? This, these are the kingdoms of the world, right? On feet of clay, none of them are eternal. None of them last forever. What specifically is going on? So in verse 36, this is the dream. Now we will tell the interpretation of it before the king. You, O king, are a king of kings. That's a nice thing to hear, right? My, you are the king of kings, Nebuchadnezzar. Why is he the king of kings? He made all the right choices. He got a chance to go to all the best schools. You know, you, you know that one crossroad in your life that you always think about? You know, if only I had hit that pitch. If only I had scored that touchdown. If only I had chose to turn left instead of right. You guys have those things in your life? Sometimes we put a lot of weight into the, the choices we have made in our past. And that that somehow is the thing that shaped our future, right? But what's the Bible say about Nebuchadnezzar? Why is he the king of kings? Why is he the chief? Why is he the guy on top of the statue? The Bible says, For the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. (coughs) Who gave it to him? God did. God gave it to him. In fact, we're going to see in a a moment that, that Nebuchadnezzar was one of God's guys that God picked to do something amazing through. It says in verse 38, And wherever the children of men dwell, that's a lot of places, right? Wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field, that's a lot more places, isn't it? Where all the beasts dwell? How about this one? Where all the birds of the heaven are. It says, He, God, has given them into your hand and has made you ruler over them all. You are the head of gold. Do I have to guess what the head of gold is? Nope. Pretty easy. Don't we love it when the Bible just tells us what it means? means what it says, says what it means. You are the head of gold. You are the king of kings. You're the top of the, of the food chain, Nebuchadnezzar. But what you need to understand, Nebuchadnezzar, is you are that because God made you that. Now, we got two more chapters before Nebuchadnezzar realizes that that's true. At the end of the chapter today, he thinks it's true, but but he ain't quite there yet. But he's going to know that there is a God in heaven who holds his kingdom together. That God is working out his purpose. Now, while we think, I just want you to hold on to that idea. Go to Jeremiah 27. (laughs) Jeremiah 27, verse 6 and 7. Listen what the prophet Jeremiah had to say about Nebuchadnezzar. And now I have given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. Now he's talking about Judah. He's talking about the land of Israel. Remember the people were going into exile. Remember Daniel, he was part of the first wave going into exile. He says, I've given all these lands. Who gave them? God said. God gave them. God said, look, you guys are going into Babylon. You can go kicking and screaming, or you can go submitted, but you're going into Babylon. Now, in your life, growing up, which way was better? Was it better to go kicking and screaming, or was it better just to go? I, I think it was better just to go. I could have kicked and screamed while they're taking, shaving my beard, but it would have been more like plucking the beard out of my face. So I just sit still, and... Whoosh, it just washes right off your face. (laughs) Poof, it's gone. We want to learn the lessons from the nation of Israel when God tells them, you're going into judgment. You're you're being penalized. You're going in for for icing and hockey. you got to sit down. It's going to be a power play. Your team's going to be lacking one. But you don't get to get out until you did your time. Seem familiar? It's not all that unfamiliar in, in life. God does the same thing with his people. And so what's he say? He says, look, I've given them to Nebuchadnezzar. Who? 
Nebuchadnezzar, he calls Nebuchadnezzar my servant, by the way. Nebuchadnezzar doesn't know God. Nebuchadnezzar not saved. Nebuchadnezzar just a pagan, but God says, I picked him to do what he's going to do. And you're going to go. And the beasts of the field I have also given to him to serve him. So all nations will serve him. Listen. His son and his son's son. Until the time of his land comes. And then many nations and great kings will make him serve them. What happens to the kingdoms of this world? Are they eternal? No, what are they doing? They're always passing away. Moving from one to another. One is given power by God. God exalts. God takes down. That's the book of Daniel. That's what Daniel tells us. (coughs) God lifts up. God takes down. God lifts up. God takes down. Now a lot of times people get a defeatist attitude. And they say, oh then, why should I do anything? Oh, let me back it up for you. You guys remember the story? The, the parable of the talents? So you're going to bury your talent in a backyard? How'd that work out? I'm not going to do nothing. If God's in charge and God's doing everything. I'm taking my talent. I'm burying it in the backyard so I got something to give him when he comes back. How'd that guy's deal play out? Not so good? Not so good. So what is it that God has called us to do? Occupy. Make disciples. Baptize people. Teach them the gospel. Tell them about Jesus. Spread the good news. Because it's only the gospel of Jesus Christ that transforms this world from dark to light. But we can't do it if our stuff's buried in the backyard, can we? We got to bring it out. We got to use it. We got to engage. Remember the beginning? Are we assimilating? No, we don't want to assimilate, right? We just become like everybody else. Are we separating so we can't talk to anybody? No, we have no connection. What are we doing? Transforming. So how do I transform? I got to engage in the culture. I got to engage in what's going on. I got to share the truth. We got to be willing. To, if we're not willing to share the truth, and we got to, we got to stop somewhere along the line. The church got, um, like, uh, I don't know a good word for it. Mamby pamby. I don't know. Weak. <laughs> I did it too. I get I get all afraid of offending people. You guys ever feel that way? I don't want to offend them. I don't want to, I don't mind offending Jesus, but I don't want to offend them. You guys ever been there? I don't want to I don't want to offend them. And then I think about what is it that Jesus did? We just read a couple of stories. Was he worried about offending the woman at the well? He just told her what was up. What was up? You need to repent. What happened? That was the need of her heart. She recognized that as the need of her heart. She repented and her life was never the same. God is looking to and fro for someone to stand in the gap. Is he going to find somebody? Are you only willing to stand in the gap if you can stand in the gap your way? Are you willing to stand in the gap if it means I've got to stand on a corner with everybody driving by telling me I'm number one while I try to take 15 seconds to convince a young woman not to murder her unborn baby. Oh, that's a little tense. SB 1118. You guys ever heard of it? Well, probably not. We're, we're, we're not from Oklahoma. But if you were, there's a senator in Oklahoma who's written a bill, SB 1118, which declares in an effort to abolish abortion in his state that abortion is murder. It defines it. Abortion is murder. Interesting. Seems like a good thing to me. But somewhere along the line, the church got afraid of offending people. By the way, if that child was five years old, we don't have a problem, do we? Well, if that child was ten years old, and I just decided I don't want him anymore, can I just go kill him? No, what do we call that? Don't be shy. So, if that's murder, then the only difference is time on the clock. That's it. So, SB 1118 got stopped. Um, It's not utterly stopped, but it's stalled. But who stalled it is the surprising part. 
pro-life. The pro-life movement stopped it. How come? They're afraid if we go all in, we'll lose the little bit of ground we've gained. Now, my only question is, is that how Jesus functioned? Look, I'm not interested in what program we can do, or is there, is there a better way to build a mousetrap? Look, I just want to know, what did Jesus do? What did Paul do? How did they talk? How did they share the gospel? Isn't that how we should do it? So if you tell someone so nice, and all these things are still true, that Jesus still loves them, and Jesus will forgive them, but before he can forgive them, and before that love can be expressed, they ought to do what? Repent. We can't skip that step. We can't skip that step. Who's going to tell the people? Don't you know that the Bible says, who's going to tell them? Who, who's, going to, who's going to tell them if we don't go? Who's going to stand in the gap? Is the Lord looking around in Buell for somebody to stand in the gap and he can't find anybody? Or are there people saying, no, I'll stand in the gap, even if nobody wants to hear my message. Now, if nobody wants to hear the message, my question is, does that line up with what this says? Were there guys going from town to town with a message that nobody wanted to hear? Did that stop them? Did they say, well, we need to change the message so people will like it better? No, what do they do? They just keep going with the truth. Shake off the dust, keep going. What's the truth? We need to repent. What's man's greatest need? Man's greatest need is to repent. It's not super popular, but it's what's necessary to transform our world today. It's necessary. Look, I'm not going to harp on it because I wasn't planning on it. <coughs> and I wasn't even going to talk about that bill, but it come up anyway, so you're stuck with me now. <coughs> Somewhere between 55 million and 60 million uh, dead innocent babies over the history since Roe v. Wade... Um, do you know how many there was in the Old Testament before God brought judgment on the nation of Israel? Yeah, we're so far past them is not even funny. And so when I go home and I sit down in my comfortable little couch and I turn on the TV and, and I don't know, I think Kathy's got Fox on speed button or something, so... <laughs> So Fox is on the TV and they come up and I, and I watch these guys talking and I watch people arguing and I watch everything that's going on. I'm not, my heart's not filled with dread because we got no good people to vote for. It's obvious we're not going to have no good people to vote for. We're under judgment. Are you kidding? How long do you think you can sin the same sin over and over again before God's judgment comes? So you put all your hope in a candidate. I've done that in my life multiple times. And all I get is disappointed. But you know what I haven't done my whole life like I have done that? Put my trust in what the Word of God says we're supposed to be doing and do that. I didn't see what happens. See if God transforms a state, a county, a town, a family. Because people were willing to stand up and say... This is how God does things. This is how God does things. Well, that judgment brought the people to Babylon. <clears throat> and Babylon, God's choice of that judgment? Nebuchadnezzar. And I would say, whoever we get will be God's choice of judgment for us. And we need it. So... Don't run from it like the rest of Israel did when this was all coming on. God said, you're going in, go in and be light. Go in, be salt, live, share the truth, do the things we should have been doing up until this time. Because then you can really make a difference. No matter who's on top. Right? No matter who's sitting up in that chair, the head of gold. <laughs> I don't want that job, man. You guys seen that job? I barely want the job I got. <clears throat> All right, so the first, the head of gold. The head of gold. From 605 to 539 B.C., Babylon. The head of gold, considered to be the king of kings and the lord of lords and the top of the mound, 
And they have the shortest kingdom of them all. Nebuchadnezzar is going to rule the majority of it, 40 some years. And then the rest of his kids, 20 some more. So you're looking at roughly 60 years of a kingdom. The head of gold. Is that how you would pick the head of gold? And if each one is inferior to the one before, you can't say that it's because of the length of reign that makes it inferior, can you? Because Nebuchadnezzar's the shortest. Babylon's the shortest. So what is it? What makes it inferior? Some people say what makes the next kingdom inferior is the lack of power by the guy on top. Like Nebuchadnezzar said it and that settled it. And the next guy and the Medes and the Persians, when we get down to there, when he said it, it took a council to undo it. He didn't have as much power. Maybe, but I, I tend to think that God's showing us something in a different way. I think what makes the head of gold the head of gold is the morality of the nation. And what makes the chest of silver and the belly of bronze and the legs of iron is the declining of morality nation by nation by nation by nation. I can't prove it, but it it kind of makes more sense to me than than some of the other ideas. (coughs) So he says, you, O king, you're the head of gold. You're God's choice. You're the one God picked for judgment. Verse 39 But after you will arise another kingdom inferior to yours. Now he doesn't tell us which kingdom that is, right? He's going to later on in other chapters. So I'll tell you. The chest and arms of silver is the Medo-Persian Empire. It rules for 200 years. Roughly from 539 to 331 BC. The Medes and the Persians. Now here's what I do know. Here's what I do know. You guys heard of that fellow Isaiah? Isaiah is a little bit before Jeremiah and Ezekiel. You guys know Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Jeremiah and Ezekiel are prophesying during the exile, the time of Daniel, when Daniel's going to the land. So Isaiah, about 150 years earlier, he says this in Isaiah 45.1. Thus says the Lord Yahweh to his anointed. Now who's his anointed? To Cyrus. Whose right hand I have held to subdue nations before him and loose the armor of kings. Now when we get to chapter 5, loosing the armor of kings is going to make a little bit of sense. You guys remember the story of Belshazzar? You will. To subdue the nations before him, loose the armor of kings, to open before him the double doors. Interesting side note into how he gets into Babylon. So that the gates will not be shut. So God says, <coughs> before Babylon takes the children of Israel into captivity, God says, Babylon's going to take you, because God knows the future. God knows what's going to happen, knows your future. He knew their heart, He knows our heart. He says, Babylon's going to take you into captivity, but I just want you to know, I have another servant, not just Nebuchadnezzar, I have a servant named Cyrus. He's not born. He's born in 150 years later. 150 years later, a guy named Cyrus is born. He becomes the head of the Medo-Persian Empire. He's the guy who defeats Babylon. In fact, the defeat of the Medo-Persians against Babylon, the Babylonians who lived in Babylon, didn't know they were conquered for three days. Oh, that's kind of trippy, huh? How's that happen? Well, they just snuck in at night and took over. And the, you know, the stop signs were still there. And the market still opened. It's just a different guy that was getting the gold. And three days later, they figured it out. Oh, Babylon's over. Now it's the Medo-Persian Empire. And guess who their number one wise guy was? Daniel. Daniel. He's there for it. Chest of silver... Medo-Persian Empire. The next one after Babylon. Babylon's head of gold. It goes away. Chest of silver. Who's that? Medo-Persians. We get to chapter 7 and 8. We're going to see the beast. And God's going to tell us that that beast is Medo-Persian Empire. We're going to see God describe it in chapter 8. Uh, that it, are, it is the Medes 
and the Persians. So chest and arm of silver. Next we have belly and thighs of bronze, right? What's the second part? After that, a third kingdom of bronze. Less value. Gold, silver, bronze. Everybody with me? Gold, silver, bronze. Less value. Now who's made all these decisions so far? Didn't God do it? God chose Nebuchadnezzar. He's the head. God chose Cyrus. He's the next guy. Now we come into the bronze. Oh, David's going to tell us all about the bronze kingdom. He's going to describe the bronze kingdom as a leopard. Why? Because that dude motors, man. The guy moves fast. But there's something interesting about this leopard, Diane's going to tell us. This leopard has four heads. Why has the leopard got four heads? Well, because Alexander the Great comes in and takes over the world. He goes through like a flash fire, wiping everybody out and taking over. He's the Grecian Empire. But what happened to him when he was young? He finishes, he doesn't got nobody else to fight. What happens to him? He gets sick and dies, right? He gets, gets pneumonia or cold or I don't know, whatever that flu was we had this year. He might have got that. It was not good. <laughs> and he dies. Alexander dies. What, what happened to his kingdom? Goes to his four generals. Four heads. Four generals. The belly and thighs of bronze. Yeah, that's the Grecian Empire. You had Babylonian. Medo-Persians came in. After Medo-Persians, Alexander the Great came in. He sets up his kingdom. Belly and thighs of bronze. So we see these things laid out for us. Then we go on uh, in verse 40. And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything. And like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all others. So who came after Greece? Rome. And who was born during the Roman kingdom? The, The stone which the builders rejected. Why? I wonder why the Bible describes him as a stone. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief of the corner. The main corner stone. So the fourth kingdom, we see Rome. Now Rome rules for a long time. You guys know that? So everyone, I think you got like 60 years for the first one, 200 years, 300 years, and then we get to Rome. And Rome divides into two parts. We'll talk about it as we keep going through the prophecies. Rome divides into two parts, the <clears throat> eastern and the western. The western part only lasts 500 years. How long does the eastern last? 1,500. That's a long time, isn't it? 14-something was the end of the eastern empire. 1457 or, or some crazy number, the... The Eastern Empire of Rome is finally <coughs> obliterated or put down or goes to sleep. So we have four kingdoms. Head of gold. Was it eternal? Nope, it left. Then you had the Medo-Persians. Was it eternal? Nope, it is gone. Then you had Alexander the Great and the bronze. Was it eternal? Nope, then you had iron. Uh, that's Rome. Was it eternal? Nope, we know one thing about them all, right? They didn't last forever. They are temporary. They are all temporary and they are all built on the same thing. What is that? Feet of clay. Look at the next one, verse 41. Whereas you saw the feet and the toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided. Yet the strength of the iron shall be in it. Just as you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom will be partly strong and partly fragile. And as you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, (coughs) they shall mingle with the seed of men, but they shall not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. So the idea of the feet, and really he begins to describe the toes. You got some of the toes are iron and some of the toes are clay. He tells us they don't mix together. They try to mix it together, but it don't mix together. Now, we can get all crazy on this, or we can just understand it for what it says. You guys ever seen a kingdom that tries to come together under several kings, and they just all can't get along? And it don't matter who marries who. 
Like, oh, I'll, I'll, you know what? I'm going to marry his second cousin and that will make us closer. But you know what? I don't really like the second cousin and the marriage thing doesn't really bind the kingdom together. You with me? So we have another kingdom. Somehow associated with the iron kingdom, but it's different. What's different about it? Well, it's going to be described as ten toes. It's going to be described as ten horns. It's going to be described in uh, Daniel chapter 7. It's going to be described in uh, Revelation chapter 13. It's going to be described in a number of places, this idea of ten kings. Now, here's what people do wrong. People come to this prophecy and they want to make it some other nation. They want to make it all run concurrently. So they say, well, the first king was this guy, and then the second king was this guy who took over from him, and the third king was this guy who took over from him, and that's not what it's talking about. It says ten dudes ruling together, same time. I was not born with one toe, and then 15 years later, the second one popped out. And then a little while later, the third one popped out. When did your toes come on your feet? Did you have all your toes at once? Or do you just get them one at a time? So, ten toes. When we look at the beast, he's going to talk about the beast who will come in Daniel chapter 7. He's going to talk about ten horns, who are ten kings. The idea is a, a concept of a kingdom that we haven't yet seen, that is some kind of a... a I don't know, a melding together of multiple kingdoms, but they don't really stick. Are you with me? Like ten nations. Whether it's really ten or not, we've seen the Bible talk about ten as a just a temporary number, or meaning that it was not, you know, it didn't last forever. Remember the, the book of Revelation tells us that there was persecution for ten days. It didn't really mean ten days. What did it mean? It's just temporary. It's not eternal. It's going to last for a period of time. And that's going to end. So maybe 10 doesn't mean 10. But I kind of lean toward 10 meaning 10. I know I'm just... When it comes up three places, twice in Daniel and once in Revelation, how many times you got to say 10? So <clears throat> until it's not 10 and I have to eat my words, I'm going to roll with 10. So we have some type of a kingdom that doesn't mesh together, doesn't quite fit, doesn't come together. And we're saying, okay, well, what does that have to do with anything? Well, think about what's going on. Let's try to tie it together. Nebuchadnezzar's there. He thinks his kingdom's going to last forever. God's trying to tell him, your king's not going to, your kingdom's not going to last forever, and you need to make some kind of decision about who you're going to serve. By chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar's going to make his decision. Because that was the need of his heart. But the same thing is true for us. We somehow think, I think, that the United States is going to last forever. Yeah, sorry. Nobody else did. We made it longer than Babylon, but we're nowhere close to Rome yet, are we? And we're not looking all that hot right now, currently. So, so I'm not sure how that's all going to pan out, but I do know this. It's not eternal, and if my hope is in this nation, I'm wasting my hope. My hope needs to be in the one who declares who the nations are going to be. That's Jesus Christ. And I can bow the knee before the flag of the United States of America, which I have done. Or I can choose to bow the knee before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ, my Savior. And that takes precedent over any other flag. So I bow the knee before Jesus Christ and say, look, it's His kingdom that lasts forever. That's what this story says, right? His kingdom lasts forever. His kingdom, when's it going to come? I don't know, somewhere during this time when you got these ten kings together. Isn't that what the word says? Well, look at the very next section. What did I do, throw my glasses at somebody? Gosh, somebody's got to watch me. (laughs) Somebody's got to watch. What's he doing now? Oh my gosh. Okay. Verse 44. And in the days of these kings, what kings? The ten toes. Isn't that what he just talked about? He's just talking about the, the, the clay mixing, not mixing. So we got some iron, that's a strong kingdom. Some clay, not so strong. One iron, one clay, one iron, one clay. They're, they don't mix together, they don't stay together. He says, in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up his kingdom, which shall never be destroyed. 
So when God sets up his kingdom, is it going to be done? Boom. When his kingdom is set, his kingdom is set. Finished. So he's saying, in the days of these kings, in the kingdom, <coughs> shall not be left to other people. So somebody else is not going to run this kingdom. God's going to set his kingdom. Who's the king of God's kingdom? Jesus Christ. What's the Bible say in Philippians chapter 2? Every knee will, every tongue will, that Jesus Christ is. Or now what we're just talking about? Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. The king of kings, lord of lords, the ultimate kingdom through Jesus Christ. And so that day's coming. That, that kingdom will come and it will break into this world in some kind of conglomeration of ten kings, some kind of a governmental system that's put together. And you know what? We can sit around and argue about what that governmental system is and you're wasting your time. And you're forgetting about what he told us to do. Transform. Take the good news of the gospel. And know in your heart, God's kingdom is coming. How much time I got? I don't know. I'm going to guess less time today than I had yesterday. And tomorrow will be less time than the next day. Won't it? And so what is my purpose? My purpose is to transform this world right now, engage this culture, because God is looking for someone to stand in the gap now in such a time as this. Because the kingdoms of this world are passing away, and God's kingdom is coming, and it will be established, and it will last forever. But on that day, it's too late for me to invite anybody to the kingdom of God. It's set. But prior to that time, just like God had Daniel there for Nebuchadnezzar, just like God had Daniel there for Cyrus, just like God had Daniel there for Darius, just like we see Nebuchadnezzar make Daniel the head of the wise guys. You guys see that at the end? Here, now I'll get there. You guys just hold on to your hats and say, I don't know, Jackie's not making any sense. Just try to <coughs> get the CD and listen again. It might not make any sense the second time either. Verse 46, and King Nebuchadnezzar falls on his face. So he's blown away. You with me? Falls prostrate before Daniel, and he commanded that they should present an offering and incense to him. <coughs> and the king answered Daniel and said, truly, your God is the God of gods. Ah, you know what, Daniel? Your God is awesome. I'm going to add him to the plethora of gods I already serve. That's what Nebuchadnezzar's saying. He's not quite there yet. Don't worry, he's going to get there. He's the Lord of kings, the revealer of circuits, of circuits, the revealer of secrets. Since you could, <laughs> since you could reveal this secret. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him uh, many great gifts. And he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon. What's his next? And chief administrator of who? Chief administrator of all the wise men. Well, what, Jackie, what are you talking about? What do you think Daniel taught those guys? You remember when Daniel first came? He had to learn about all this stuff, all this liberal arts. Remember, he had to go to school in Babylon. He had to excel in their classes. He had to be tested by the king, right? So now Daniel's the chief. Now Daniel's in charge of the school. Now Daniel has engaged his culture and brought transformation to his culture. And now Daniel gets to speak to what the wise men learn. Now what do you think he taught those guys? You don't think he read to them Jeremiah? You don't think he read to him the Old Testament prophets? You don't think he read to him the Old Testament scriptures? I guarantee he did. You know how I know? Well, he changes the name. You know what Daniel called the guys in his school? Magi. You ever heard that phrase before? Okay. Hold on to it. Now let's move forward to the birth of Christ. The Bible talks about three... What were they? Three wise men. Well, you ever wonder why in the world they're coming looking for Jesus? Why in the world are three wise men following a star coming from the east? Those three wise men are magi. From the school Daniel started. Who studied the scripture, the Old Testament scriptures and the prophecies. So when they see prophecies beginning to unfold, they realize, it's time. It's time. 
The stone is coming. It's coming during the Iron Kingdom. The stone is coming. <coughs> so the stone came. He's born. And what happened to the stone? He's rejected. But then he becomes what? The chief of the corner. He comes once, meek and mild like a lamb. The second coming looks like what? Does it look the same? No. You ever read Revelation? You see the coming of Jesus Christ? and Every eye will see. Everybody's going to know. Nobody's going to go, I wonder if we've been taken over by a new kingdom. Nope. Whoo, man. Jesus is here. Everybody's going to see him come. And when he sets up his kingdom, he's, on, he's sitting on the throne now. He's my king. But he's going to set up a kingdom here. The Bible talks about an earthly kingdom. Every one of these kingdoms in this statue, were they on earth or on Mars? They're all on earth? So is there some reason to, dis- to decide that the heavenly kingdom won't be on earth? Every kingdom that it was compared to was on earth, wasn't it? So there's no reason to say, not going to be an earthly kingdom. So there's going to be an earthly kingdom. He's going to come back. He's going to set up his throne. Jesus Christ comes that time like a lion. This time like a lamb. We find ourselves in a window of opportunity. You and I. Now, prophecy is amazing. And there's so much more that we don't have time to get into. See, sorry. Next week we'll chew on some more. But, as we look at it, God knows what's going to happen. Yes or no? Does He tell us in Daniel? Yep. Did He tell Daniel what was going to happen? So we we see Daniel getting prophecies about the future. What does that tell me? That tells me God's got a plan for the future. Right? The Bible tells us that God is God of heavens and the earth. I change not. That's what he said. So if he had a plan for the past, does he not have a plan for today? Okay, so if he's got a plan for today and a purpose for today, then who's in control of it all? So if God's in control of it all, then maybe I can stop worrying about wrestling control from Him, and I can start saying, what am I supposed to be doing here? What am I supposed to be doing now? Lots of opportunity, guys, for us to plug in. We just heard about Wednesday prayer, right? Praying for our nation on Wednesday. We got prayer Tuesday morning at 6. We got prayer, (coughs) I left you guys out last time, Friday morning at 6 a.m. over at Howard's place. There's uh, I left another Thursday night. We got prayer at the apologetics class. There's lots of ways you can plug in and be a part of corporately coming together and praying for our nation in the direction and where things are going. And remember what Daniel did. The problem led him to prayer. Prayer brought him to praise. So he starts praising God because God has the answers, right? So prayer tells us God has the answers. And then the opportunity led Daniel to action. See, that's where we're at. The reason we look at this and we break this out, and there's a whole lot more we'll do next week, is to tell us that God knows what's going on. He knew the names of guys 150 years before they were born. And he named them, and he put it in a book that was written 150 years before they were born. Nobody went back in and erased it. You know, the, the Lord said his name was going to be George, and it really was Cyrus. We've got to change that. No, it was Cyrus. It was Babylon. It was, it was Babylon that was going to come. It was Nebuchadnezzar that was his servant. And all these things were God's choice because God is in control. And he, and he has a purpose and a plan. And, it, and it's good for us <coughs> to desire to understand and to know the purpose and the plan. But not so that we can take control away from Him, but so that we can recognize the greatest need of our heart. The greatest need of our heart. If we don't know, if you don't know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, the greatest need of your heart is to repent now and believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Repent of your sin. You are, you, you are guilty. I was guilty. Everybody's guilty. We all have one thing in common, right? We're all broke. He's the one who puts the pieces back together. But for him to put the pieces back together, I gotta, I gotta bow down before him and say, I'm broke. I repent, man. I'm a sinner. I need a savior. And then whosoever calls on the name of the Lord, what's the Bible say? Shall be saved. Now some people hear me say, you need to repent and believe, and they go, I'm not gonna do that. That's dumb. There's got to be a different way. But good luck with that. All you got to do is call on the name of the Lord, but will everybody do it? No. 
But does that change my job? It doesn't change my job. Look, there's ways for us to get engaged. There's ways. There's guys who go out every Friday. We're working on getting a couple other things going different times during the week. We're looking at trying to put together some outreach right here local in Buell. We're, we're, we're trying to find ways to help you engage in what's going on here. So that you can take the truth that you know of what God's done in your life and share it with somebody else. And when you learn to do that, you know what happens? You get set free. And you're not afraid. And you're not all, uh, uh, what do we say, mamby-pamby. And you become like Daniel. And the next thing you know, you're getting elevated. And you're getting more opportunities. And you're, and you're making a difference. Isn't that what we want? Don't you want to make a difference? Yeah. Look, I hope Jesus comes back tomorrow. And it's all over. On one hand. But on the other hand, there's a lot of people who don't know Jesus. And I, I haven't done, I haven't yet reached the peak of my ability to make a difference in this world for Christ. So I, I want to do that before he comes. That makes sense? And I got grandkids. And if I don't engage in this world and the Lord tarries, when am I leaving them? Oh yeah, the world's a mess. Grandpa didn't care. He just, it was good for him. He made it through. No way. I'm going to go kicking and screaming. Trying to make a difference. I want to I wanna try to engage. I want to be Daniel now. In this culture. And there was nothing special about him. He's a teenager. He probably didn't have a beard either. They... That's, what it, that's what it meant to be a eunuch back then. They took his beard away. <laughs> Don't get carried away now. So, I think God wants us to engage. He wants us to understand. Statue, kingdoms, they all lay out exactly how they did historically. And we'll see it as we continue. There's another prophecy in chapter 7 that lines up and explains more in depth what's going on. And we see, but what's the point of all those kingdoms? All those kingdoms tell us these kingdoms don't last, but God's kingdom lasts forever. All those kingdoms tell us that somewhere along the line with iron, remember we've got iron in the feet mixed with clay, sometime during all that, a stone's going to show up. But what I see in that story is a stone wipes out the statue and obliterates all the kingdoms. That didn't happen. But it will. A stone's coming. Jesus Christ is coming. He's going to set up his kingdom. Until then, what's he call all men everywhere to do? Repent and believe. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand up with me? Let's pray. <laughs> Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just thank you for this time. We can open up the book of Daniel, God, and, <clears throat> and begin to just really take a look at all that God has for us. So, to begin to hopefully begin to put the pieces together that, that God, you know the future. You know where we're going and where we come from. You know why things have happened to us in the past and what that's developed in us. And you've had a purpose for it all. So we can trust you. We can trust you with our future. In our world right now, our future is kind of a scary thing to look at. But we can say, you know what? The Lord has a purpose and a plan to work out here. But he also has a job for me to do. He wants me to pray for my nation. He wants me to be committed to prayer. Com committed to prayer for the lost. Committed for prayer for the direction of this world. He wants me to commit to that. But then he doesn't just want me to do that. He also wants me to praise that he's the one in control. That he has a purpose and a plan. And then he wants me to realize that that all needs to move me toward action. What was the action of Daniel? To stand before the most powerful guy in the world and say, God knows your heart. And you think your kingdom's going to last forever. But God wants you to know your kingdom's temporary. And if you don't make a decision for him, you spend eternity away from him. God, I pray that you would use us as little Daniels in this world to tell people the same message. Look, this kingdom's not going to last forever. 
And we have got to bring people to that place of repentance and faith in Christ. If we're going to see this nation turn, if we're going to see things change, if we're going to see light begin to shine in the darkness, if we're going to see the hearts of people broken over their sin. But we we can't see a heart broken over sin if we don't tell them what they're doing is sin. We can't see a heart broken over sin if we don't say, yeah, that's murder. That's not just something. If we don't say, yeah, that's sin, that's offensive to God. Maybe, just maybe, what the world needs is someone who will stand up in front of her and say the truth. That you're in sin and you need to repent before the holy God who wants to save you. Who wants to change your life, transform it. God, I pray that when you stand in the heavens of heaven and you look around our nation and you say, (coughs) I'm looking for somebody who will stand in the gap. I pray, Lord, when you come to Buell, it's not empty. There are men and women who say, I'll stand. I'll stand with you. I'll stand for you. That's what you called us to. So God, we pray that you be glorified in this place. Change hearts and lives in Jesus' name. Amen.